Welcome to season four of the Charity Matters podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, lifelong helper, nonprofit founder, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for a decade with my blog, and I'm so excited to now be sharing these inspiring conversations on our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Have you ever been surfing? Do you love the sound of the ocean? Today's guest, Nancy Miller, shares with us her remarkable journey from surf mom to working with Elton John, Jean-Michel Cousteau, and her incredible work with the Jimmy Miller Foundation. You won't want to miss this. We are so excited to have Nancy Miller join us today, the co-founder of the Jimmy Miller Foundation, and we cannot wait to hear her journey in philanthropy and all the wonderful work they're doing with their organization. So welcome, Nancy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on this very hot, sunny day. (laughs) It is a very hot, sunny day, and I'm so happy that we're having this conversation. Two California girls, one at the beach and one at the valley, and Nancy's at the beach, and I am in the the very hot um, valley for everyone who's listening across the country and everywhere else. But before we get started, tell me a little bit about what the Jimmy Miller Foundation does. The Jimmy Miller Foundation uses surfing and a form of adaptive surfing that we created to help those with mental and physical disabilities feel the healing power of the ocean. And knowing that what we know about how um, people react to being in the ocean, uh, whether it's the chemistry of their bodies or their joy and their happiness, um, their their complete uh, giddiness of changing their whole mental well-being when they go to the beach. So that's that's the basis of the Jimmy Miller Foundation, teaching um, people to surf using an adaptive form of surfing and combining it with group therapy and letting the healing begin for uh-huh. youth and adults all over the country. I love that. I love that. So I always say people... Um, don't wake up and just decide to start a nonprofit. And I actually, of course, did a little bit of homework. And so I know a little bit about, a little bit about your background prior to this work. Um, but before you tell the story of how you started it, tell, share with us a little bit about kind of your resume. I mean, you have a really incredible philanthropic nonprofit background. I mean, wow, Nancy, like, you were born for this. So share a little bit about what you've about what you've done prior to the Jimmy Miller Foundation. Well, prior to Jimmy Miller Foundation, I was um, a wife, a mom, a student, and um, and my jobs have been everything to prepare me for what I'm doing now. I never thought that what I did in the past would so well prepare me for what I'm doing now. And I think what you're talking about is um, I worked with the Elton John AIDS Foundation when it very first got going. So we're talking um, 1994. And I was wow. lucky enough to be uh, part of an incredible staff there. And I did special projects for the Elton John AIDS Foundation, which is a foundation that deals with um, helping those obviously with HIV and AIDS. And uh, 
my job was special projects. So I got to do a little bit of everything. So I actually got to um, co-produce some of the big events that Elton John AIDS Foundation did to raise funds back in like the early days. Like his Oscar party and all I, those fun we things. Did. I uh, I co-produced the um, Oscar, one of the very first, it was actually the second Oscar party the Elton John AIDS Foundation did. And um, it was relatively small back in those days, this is 1995. And it was 150 people that Elton had chosen, his musician friends. And um, it was an Oscar watching party where he invited people and they obviously had to pay for their tables to come. And we watched the awards. And then after the awards, all the winners came to the party and celebrated together. So that was pretty heady stuff. And it was, and it was very, very much fun. And, it, and I learned so much um, about how to run a nonprofit. Elton John was a great was a great boss, and he um, he was very hands on, and he knew how much money we were making and what the overhead was, and uh, awesome. it was uh, it was a wonderful learning experience for me to do so many things. I was lucky enough to travel with him to uh, other cities and produce events uh, around the country. We did uh, one in uh, Neiman Marcus in Atlanta, where he had a home, and um, we called it, it was Elton's closet and we sold his clothes there. People oh came from gosh. all over the world and it was a giant fundraiser. And we did a smash hits tennis tournament with, you know, Chrissy Everett and Martina and Pete Sampras. So it was, it was a wonderful job. And I worked with great people and I, I so respect Elton for how he started his foundation because unlike a lot of other celebrities, he, um, really did his homework and he said, I'm, this is what I am. I'm a musician. I don't know about raising funds and the legal ways to do them and the best and the best people and the best doctors. So he went after the best people and had them on um, his team. And it was really fantastic to see how it grew from um, the, that first Oscar party. I think there were five of us, five of us in the office and it was like, oh, let's put on a play. And uh, <laughs> we um we did it and well and to have seen the success has been unbelievable well and I think about it, he obviously chose the best people and he chose you Nancy and there's a reason for that and I do think that there is a reason when you think about um the path that we go on um to do this work it's it's often precarious it often has twists and turns and um and some pretty big roadblocks that that happen but the result is usually um, something pretty fantastic. I've interviewed hundreds of nonprofit founders and almost, almost I would say 80% of the people I've interviewed have um, had some sort of loss or some sort of something that affected them personally. And out of it, they decided to use that pain as fuel for good. And, um, and then there's other people and like Elton John, a lot of people had like maybe near misses or close friends, people they were close to that something happened that they wanted to use um, that and make a, make something good from something out of that. And so I think I just have, to me, um, people who start nonprofits and foundations are, um, are angels on earth. And, uh, and I, I'm just have such admiration. So I love that you had an angel mentor. Um, and even I one also that had another one though. I have, I have to mention Jean-Michel yes. because that was a chance of a lifetime. My, my family, we're all divers and, um, we were, um, my husband was on a board with Jean-Michel Cousteau and uh, I had just 
recently left the Elton John AIDS Foundation and I said, I need a break. I can't travel over the world. I'm tired of producing events. But I met this amazing man with the background and obviously everybody knows his father, Jacques Cousteau and the Cousteau Jacques Society. Right. And um, he had started his own foundation called Ocean Future Society. And um, after spending a week with him for other reasons, uh, through my uh, husband's nonprofit that he was with, um, Jean-Michel said, I need someone to produce a big event. <laughs> so to here be you able, go again. To be able to work with the, a person that I admired who'd done so much in our world for our environment, for our coral reefs, for our very planet that we live in. Um, it was it was such a joy to work with Ocean Futures and Jean-Michel and all the people I met that were so they were absolutely consumed with making the world and especially our water world, you know, safer and better for humans. And and one of the things that I loved best about Jean-Michel is that he was so non-proprietary and he wanted all the nonprofits in the ocean world to join together. And you know, they weren't in competition to raise funds or see who has the biggest event, but they were there to help the world. And by helping the right. world, the way they could help the world was by joining forces. So to me, that was a huge lesson in collaboration on a global scale that I was able to absorb. So um, I just feel so lucky to have worked with these such exceptional people. They've really changed. I mean, Alton with the music and John michelle with the environment have changed our world. So oh, it's um, completely, amazing. completely. And uh, and I think that that and even to coming back to the Jimmy Miller Foundation, as you think about the stepping stones of Elton John teaching you all of these things with events and then all the ocean work that you were doing with Jean-Michel and the Cousteau and then um, and then starting your own foundation. So um, share with us a little bit about um, about uh, Jimmy and about um, how you started your foundation. Well, we were normal. We thought we were pretty normal Manhattan Beach family and my kids grew up. We grew raised them in Manhattan Beach, California. And we were a typical beach family. Our activities were all centered around going to the beach. Um, Jimmy and Jeff were five years apart. So um, in, in a lot of ways, it was almost like having two only children early on because you know one went off to kindergarten and then I had a new baby. Okay. But um, we were for all intents and purposes, a regular family doing, you know, off to high school and junior high school. Um, Jimmy fell in love with surfing when he was seven. And wow. he, um, as he as he wrote about later in one of his many articles that he wrote, he was on his boogie board and he actually got in the tube in the curl of the mm -hmm. boogie board and he heard this sound that was magical. And even then he knew from that age on that that's what he wanted to be. In that in that water space and he and he that's how he lived his life so by the time he was 10 he was surfing in contests and um all of his friends surfed and that so our life kind of was around the water around surfing I, my husband and i took them all over the world when we could uh surfing i'd like to you know we went to spain and i hardly saw any monuments but i know every <laughs> from, from, from every good beach down to portugal right but that was you know we went scuba diving adventures so we were we were a very water oriented family 
and Jimmy was a scholar athlete uh, and um, did great, got into Berkeley and uh, did great in Berkeley, started the first surf club at Cal ever, you know. I just, love that. Just sort of things that he would do. And um, he had a great college experience and um, we were and are very, very close family. So we've got to share everything together. Um, he started his, he had a travel bug big time when he was 16, a group of, um, he and his friends uh, went to Fiji. We can't, and his mom's now looking back at it now without internet, without anything, we let our 16 year old boys go to Fiji. <laughs> they had planned themselves. Wow. <laughs> but Jimmy, wow. Was, Jimmy organized that trip and they got there right after a coup. And, uh, but they certainly got the, time of their life came back and we think about it now we went what were we thinking but it seemed like a good thing to do it was a different it. world it was a different time it was a different time so different that's time. the sort of person that Jimmy was you know organizing things for his friends thinking up new adventures and and traveling so he at 18 after high school um before he went to Cal uh passed the uh Los Angeles County lifeguard test. So he became a Los Angeles lifeguard, which oh, wow. was to ultimately, you know, be part of a life-changing uh, occupation for him. So uh, all through college, he was a lifeguard in the summer in Manhattan Beach in the South Bay. And especially, he loved especially a program called the Junior Guards, which is where uh, young children starting at uh, eight or nine uh, learn ocean skills uh, lifeguard skills, uh, swimming, paddling, running, and all the things that lifeguards have to do. And it's one of the most popular uh, programs up and down the coast. And for us as parents, it ensured our kids would be ocean safe by the time we let them go to the ocean by themselves. It was, Absolutely. It was kind of a rule. I mean, and it's, it, it's part of the culture of, of Southern California. I mean, so many so many kids are junior guards. My kids are passing. I used to drive them to Manhattan Beach when they were little for surf camp because I grew up at the beach and I, and my husband's a lake person. I was like, you are not going to grow up in Southern California and not know how to be in the ocean. This is just not, that's just not So even as inland moms um, come out to the coast for surf lessons for our kids, because you need to, you need to know how to be safe on the beach. Well, I, I hope you took them to Camp Surf because that was Jimmy's camp. That he I, I, you know what? I think I did. I want to say it was, I want to say it was at 28th Street. I can't remember, but I want to say it was before the pier. Right. Um, right. They, were on, they were on 42nd Street. So okay. yeah, I think that is where, I think that is where my kids went. My, my boys are 27, 25, and 21. That would so be, that would be, that would be the app. It was blue. It was blue with yellow. Was it blue yeah. with yellow? Yeah. yeah. I guess yeah. that is where they went. They went to um, Camp Surf. That's, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. He, that was, um, that was one of his dreams that after he graduated, he started his company, which is called Pure Surfing Experience. When he started it, he wanted, um, he wanted kids to not feel that surfing had to be competitive. He wanted it to be a family laid back thing where it's just it's something that he loved that made you feel good. That made everyone around you something that you could do uh, share. And so he called his company Pure Surfing Experience because that's what he wanted for them. However, at that time, you know, 25 years ago, getting close to 30 years when he started it, um, one of his friends who was a computer guru said, that's too many words for, a, you know, a URL. He said, I think you should call your company Camp Surf. 
and 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 while you're at it, you might want to get some other URLs. So Jimmy got Camp Surf, Camp Yoga, Camp Skate, and Camp Volley. And to this day, that's what they they have been able to do those camps. Wow. Jimmy actually created a computer program for his um, surf company. You know, learned it, learned to code, figured it out himself, and was really the first computerized uh, surf company. Uh, you know, certainly in, in California, and um, he was a pretty smart guy. Uh, um, yeah. And um, so he had he had this company. He was running his company. He um, did meet and marry um, a, a young model, and um, uh, and uh, unfortunately. Uh, they separated after about five years. And in this time, Jimmy had, had grown his com company, had traveled all over the world, he was teaching lessons, and he was writing newspaper articles and, um, and doing great. And shortly before his divorce, his separation, he tore his labrum in his shoulder and um, going through this very difficult, difficult uh, separation and um, where he had been the joy of everyone's life and, and a golden light in, in the world, all of a sudden he became very anxious and concerned. And um, there wasn't any prior evidence of any mental illness in our family and certainly not in our immediate family. At that time, we didn't know. Um, and with this injury, he couldn't go in the water. And when he wasn't able to go in the water, it totally changed his body chemistry and his brain chemistry. Wow. And um, it threw him into a real tailspin. And he... Uh, in May of 2004, he had a psychotic break. And um, we were, no one really knew what to do, you know, as, as parents right. and as, as, his brother, his close friends, because there was so little talk about mental illness, what happens, um, severe depression. So we started. And there's still so few resources, even, I mean, people talk about it, but the resources are so limited compared to the scope of, of the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So we reached out to everyone we possibly could and got him, you know, the beginning of some help. And um, he was hospitalized briefly um, and um came out of the hospital and uh, he was not, you know, he was not our Jimmy. He was heavily medicated and we were, we, you know, we were hoping for the best, but they may have, they were never able to stabilize him um, on medication. So he tried his best to integrate himself back into the community and back into, you know, his company and his, surf, and his surfing passion. But because of, what was going on in his interior mind. He was afraid to take people surfing. He was concerned about ocean safety. Um, he had incredible paranoia. I'm, sorry. I'm and so sorry. Our life was a whirlwind of trying to make sure that Jimmy was okay 
that his company that had committed to the city of Manhattan Beach to run their whole summer surf program was running. Um, his brother Jeff took over and brought in all of Jimmy's friends that were available to help run the camp. And, um, but Jimmy uh, was so concerned and that was, you know, so much from the mental illness right. speaking. Um, and in August, on August 7th, 2004, um, we had, he had spent the night at our house. We had tried to keep him, have him stay at our house on as often as possible, but he had his own apartment and he had friends visiting from all over the world. And he was a 35 year old man. Right. And, you know, there was only so much we could do. Right. And um, on August 7th, we had seen him in the morning and um, we we're going to see him for dinner. And that night he took his life and, um, and changed all of our lives and those of everyone who loved him and his the surf community and the lifeguard community. And I will say the community of Manhattan Beach all came together along with friends all over the world in disbelief that Jimmy it had this undiagnosed mental illness right. and how quickly, how quickly things changed from May to August, not even six months. So um, it's, it's unbelievable life, you know, um, hands us these, these jolts, these shocks. I, I kind of say sometimes people, maybe the Southern California thing, but I think life comes in earthquakes. I don't think it comes in, in tremors. I think it comes in earthquakes and, I think that um, the losses like that that we experience um, are, are earthquakes that, that that shatter us. I mean, they take us down, but out of them comes these mountains and this rebirth. Because you cannot have you cannot have loss without without growth. You cannot have a fire without a new forest, and you cannot have an earthquake without new buildings, and and you cannot have death without rebirth. I mean, they just it's. It's um, these conversations are so hard sometimes, but they're so real and they're so important because we all, very few of us get out of here without loss. And, um, and it's what you do with it and how, and it is not, it is a process to dig out and, and a process that you carry with you always when you have a love that deep and the child is a whole other, a whole other level. Um, but but then to take something as tragic as that and to make something so beautiful, a legacy that is still thriving is, is really what is so inspiring and beautiful, Nancy. I mean, it's such a tribute to Jimmy and such a tribute to your love as a, as a mother and to your family and to your community that his name lives on every day with all of those that you serve um, in his memory. I mean, it's just the most beautiful gift you could you could ever give anybody is what you've done. Thank you. It, um, you know, they, they say it takes a village. It, it really does. And, you know, after, after he died, it, it, when we were all still in shock, you know, everybody, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because that's, you have to, you have to do something. You feel like you have to do something. And we did know that, you know, we did have to do something and, and to be able to, have this water community that we are so connected with 
we thought, well, we'll, we'll do something from, for the junior guards. We'll do something, you know, something like right. that. Um, and how soon was it that this all came together? This, the foundation? It, was, it, was very, it was incredibly soon. I mean, I think we started the process uh, in less than six months. Oh, wow. And um, because I had been and so many, uh, and my husband and so many of the people that we surrounded ourselves with, friends and, friends and families, had all been part of starting foundations and, and knew how to do it. Right. And because I couldn't do anything, all I could do was spin basically for five years. But, right. but when I wasn't spinning, I could focus enough to know, you know, what, what needed to be done and how to be done. But if you ask me for specifics, I can't tell you a whole lot of That's those. okay. Doesn't matter. But, but, but both, but, but because of that, we were able to get a 501c3 quickly. People know how to do it. I mean, so many people right. that I talk to don't even know what that is. Obviously, you know, I want to start a foundation. What do I do? And, and, and you know, and counseling it's, people. It's a but process. We had, we right. had such a head start. And absolutely, and we're able to, you know, pull this idea. And the, and the idea came from when we were thinking about what we wanted to do in his name. One of the uh, uh, LA County lifeguard who he had mentored, um, actually he had actually taught her to surf because he thought every lifeguard should know how to surf. Um, and not all of them did and right. most of them do now, but her name was Carly Rogers and she was working on her master's in occupational therapy. And she was a surfer and um, she was working with autistic children and she came up with this concept she called ocean therapy. And what oh, wow. she believed was that you could help children, and that applies, you know, to our later work, um, achieve self-efficacy. You could, you know, obviously they feel better when they're in the water, but the self-efficacy and the self-confidence could raise in, me in measurable levels. Because remember, she was right, this is a thesis. And, right. she, and she was able to show, you know, before and after, if I can stand up on the surfboard, I can probably solve that math program, or I can, right. you know, sit down and figure out a way to communicate with someone a little bit better because I have um, efficacy, I have agency right. over right. myself. Right. And so that was the thesis of her. Uh, that was the basis of her thesis. And she goes, "I think you should find some kids and test my thesis." <laughs> and um, I know it works. And I know we can help so many people. And wow. from that, she talked to Jeff, my other son, and um, who she had known through lifeguards. And they'd right. gone to school together, not in the same high school, but different high schools. And by then, we had formed our board. So now we're a, dear, a year down the road. And one of the board members' da daughters knew someone at a nonprofit called, at that time, Holly Grove, which was in Hollywood. Right. And... Um, wasn't Marilyn Monroe at Holly Grove? Yes, yes. Marilyn Monroe was actually yes. at uh, Holly Grove. Yes, and uh, for a short period of time, mm -hmm. so it had it had a long, long uh, legacy, and it also at that time was an orphanage, um, right. living home, and has since changed, but most of them have. But um, they knew somebody there, and they went and presented their program um, as academically and professionally as they could. And the executive director turns out to have been a surfer from Manhattan Beach. 
Oh, wow. (laughs) How soon can we come and how many kids can we bring? Oh, that's so great. Literally, um, the following, so the following summer in 2005, we started um, our first, and we called it Ocean Therapy, and it, and, and it was, you know, a full day's, a half a day's program that had been carefully computed through her master's work, right. and very, very closely studied and um, evaluated, and she knew that the combination of a guided surfing, adaptive surfing, and talking about it, talk therapy, just, you know, how does it feel? What does it feel like to be on that board? You know, the descriptive words and all the feelings that that came from, um, you know, being around the water, let alone being on the surfboard and and, and whether whether you're riding on your tummy or knees or whatever, how it changed kids' affect, you know. Absolutely. So we took six kids that first time at Pally Grove, and um, I think we probably had 400 volunteers and everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to come to Manhattan Beach and surf? I mean, come right, on. Exactly. So and what every- kind of challenges did you have in the beginning? I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're figuring this out. You're, you're, it is kind of crazy when you start. And I, you know, having started a nonprofit and having had a tragedy myself, losing my mom suddenly in a car accident, when we um, started they're not coincidences, but all these things kind of align that just get you on the path. Like it wasn't a coincidence that she was a surfer from Manhattan Beach. I mean, these things just keep happening and you, so many of them happen, you can't explain it. It becomes a little bit crazy. And, and, and in my experience, and a lot of people that I've spoken to, you get so many and you just keep going, going, going. These doors just keep opening, but then it gets a little bumpy. Because then the stuff starts getting real and the experience, those little magical moments, we still have them, but they, they're they not as strong as they are in the beginning. There's mm-hmm. challenges in this work. So what were some of the challenges that you that you guys ran into as well, you were well, getting going? Well, the challenges going? for us was, you know, it, the, the first summer went great because we had four, four successions and right. we had a few kids. The challenges began the following year when we when we began to grow the program and you know we wanted to work with you know maybe four agencies I think we uh, children's agencies and you know to be able to number one you know have their have their you know development directors um actually get on board which was you know we were lucky with Mary we were lucky with uh, Holly Grove but um, it was a little bit, a, a little bit of a sell, but not, but not so much. For us, the challenges became um, finding enough. It's an all-volunteer uh, organization. Finding enough right. volunteers. Those first five or six years, we really did not have that problem. But you know, right. over the years, you know, certainly um, volunteers, um, funding for you know equipment, uh, right. being a, being able to make sure that you know there was. Carly, Carly was an occupational therapist and part of the program that differs it from, you know, differentiates it from any other program. It's not just about surfing. It's about that talk therapy. It's about having a therapist on, on site at every single, at every single session. Right. And um, so as we grew uh, and the numbers changed, you know, it was a matter of working overtime to find, you know, the qualified people to actually give the surf lessons. And, um, you know, we needed lunches, you know, we needed food, we needed snacks, we needed a photographer to take (laughs) pictures. So as the program grew, 
Uh, we needed transportations. We had to get the boards from here to there. So just, it keeps growing. And, and what we just had the most for us, one of the more remarkable sessions um, in our 17 years, um, just two weeks ago with the Friendship Foundation, which is works with um, developmentally delayed um, uh, and um, young adults, special needs adults, ages basically 18 to 35, who right. kind of aged out of their children's, you know, their schooling programs. And it was started by um, uh, Rabbi Yossi Mintz as, you know, a way of getting children with these developmental problems, these young, these young people mentored up with teenagers from local high schools, <laughs> whether they, you know, whether they had a movie night or whether they did bingo or something like that, right. it was normalizing, you know, their lives, whether they were on the spectrum or, or um, right. autistic or uh, peer to peer mentorship is everything. The, the, the peer mentorship and their um, their nonprofit has has grown along with ours over the years, based in Manhattan Beach. And we had always wanted to do something with them. And finally, they have a new executive director who we knew from other other areas of our work. And I called her and I said, "Hey, we've got to get together. We've got to get your kids surfing." Right. She goes, oh my gosh, I was just going to reach out, and they were just getting ready to want to get these kids surfing. So two weeks ago. We took 12 of the special needs young adults oh. surfing. And I am telling you, it was it, re, it reminded us of why we started it. It was it was such a special, special session. Um, the joy that these kids oh. could articulate, um, their ability, you know, to follow instructions and get up on the board. And of the 12 of them, I mean, six of them were standing up within a half an hour. Wow. Um, I mean, it was so joyful and, and and yet it was it just seemed like the next step that we should be taking with a new population right it was it was something unexpected <clears throat> Excuse me. and we were a little concerned because we didn't know the actual right. mental problems and um and behavioral but we had they gave us a a, a lovely you know little warm-up and a little right. bit about kids and and they kids are kids. It's right. all just—it's all just about having fun. It's so all having that new population, you know, added to our to our group, along with the other one that I, Heidi, that I'm so excited about, is that during COVID, you know, we all knew that our healthcare workers were suffering, right? And you know, especially the people on the front lines, absolutely, COVID, whether they are working in palliative care or or whatever, and. Um, one of the local hospitals contacted us uh, at the end of 21 and said, you know, my people are really suffering. And um, I've read about you in the medical journal. Do you right. think that you could help us with ocean therapy? And we went, you betcha. This is Torrance Memorial oh, Hospital. So, so um, at the end of 21, we took a group of their healthcare workers, doctors, social workers, um, uh, just uh, people who worked in the hospital, a group of, I think that group was 10 or 12 which is our optimum number. Right. And, oh my goodness. It was so fabulous and so exciting to see this group, like every group come in and going to Saturday it was kind of But gloomy. to give back to the yeah. givers and to give back to those that help. I mean, that keeps fueling that goodness. I mean, that that's yep. a definite payday. Yep. So what, I mean, this, you've, you've been on a, a miraculous journey um from everything from Elton John to Jean-Michel Cousteau 
to this brilliant foundation. What life lessons have you learned in all this? Because I have to imagine there are more than a few. Oh my God. Well, I, I think, as I said in the very beginning, it takes a village. Um, you cannot do something, you know, alone. Um, it, it, it takes all, it takes all those inner it, the people that are intertwined. Um, and you need to be able to reach out and, and ask for help. It doesn't right. just, it doesn't just happen to you. Um, right. It's not very good for asking. Most know. of us aren't. Most of us aren't. <laughs> But Some of us become professional at it when we run nonprofits. I will, no never, choice. I will never be comfortable. Although, you know, my good friends now, they, they look at me, they said, especially if we're doing an event or something like that. And they say, if, you, if they see me coming, you know, just step out of the way because, you know, you'll end up, you know, doing the event, <laughs> donating something. But, but having faith in the process and right. being able to have the most fabulous, surround yourself with the people who who understand and who know, I mean, we've gone from an occupational therapist to now we have um, a, a, a therapist uh, that does, his specialty is family child counseling. And so we've been able to combine occupational therapy and traditional therapy, right. um, psychological therapy uh, with group therapy. So surround yourself with, with the best people. We've gone from one therapist to now we have seven or eight that are, you know, available to lead our sessions. So That's to be incredible. able to look at resources around you and be imaginative. I mean, we pulled the person that's now the head of our, um, uh, our therapeutic program. I had no idea he was a psychologist. I only knew him because he played the guitar at, <laughs> at, at some of our events. And I happened to read an article about him and he was a surfing psychologist. And we there you go. For someone new. I called him and I went, hi, I didn't need <laughs> a therapist. And there he went. And he's been oh. with us. Susa, an, an amazing man who brought his own therapeutic recovery, oh, was so part beautiful. and parcel of, you know, a program, this program. So beautiful. Well, so how do you think you've changed in all this, Nancy? Do you, do you think you've changed in this journey since you started? Yeah, I mean, I really have. I mean, as I mentioned before, uh, the first the first five years, as I said, I felt all I did was spin. I know I was there, and I know I was available um, to heal when we were at ocean therapy sessions, but I couldn't do it. It was just right. too painful to talk about Jimmy and to talk, and for me, it was how he died and not how he lived. And, right. and the big difference now is, you know, I can talk about how he lived and what, and what a difference his life has made. So I, I think in terms of, you know, my biggest change, you know, personally is to have had that. So I couldn't have had this conversation with you. Um, I just couldn't have, yeah. it wouldn't right. have worked. Of course. Uh, and, of course. You know, and now I'm so happy to, to share his stories. And if I shed some tears while I'm talking, it is just, you know, it's part, it's part of the story. 
It is part it's of a the part story. of a mother, a mother's story. And a, this is a family story. This, this is, is a love family. story is what this is, Nancy. This is a true love story. It's, not, it's never been about me. It's always been about the family and the people that have supported us from the very beginning. Well, and love never dies. As, as you and I both know, love never dies. And it obviously lives on in the Jimmy Miller Foundation with every life that Jimmy and you and your family and your staff and your team touch that love goes on and everyone gets a little piece of it. And I can think of no more beautiful ending to a perfect love story, but tell us how we can support you and your foundation. How can we get involved? How can we donate? (laughs) What event can we go to? Give us all the down and dirty. But yes, how can you support us? It's www.jimmymillerfoundation.org. And, um, you know, our, our needs are very similar to so many others. We need, we need equipment, we need surfboard, we need uh, help with um, staffing. Um, if you are a surfer and you want to participate in an ocean therapy session, um, as a teacher, you know, contact us. Uh, there's a big tab on, for volunteers, and it has all the specific di- jobs that volunteers can do. Um, if you're a good surfer, you can be an instructor. If you love the water and may not be a good surfer, you can be a water helper. Turn the boards around and be in the water. We need people to help uh, with lunches. We need people. This is a really important thing, and people don't understand that. We need people to cheer on the beach because what we do um, is so is so visual. And when these people get up on the surfboard, um, when you're witnessing it, you know, and it's it's called witnessing, there's a lot of other names for it. But when you're cheering for someone who just caught their first wave and you see their arms go up in the air and the smiles for miles um, and you're clapping for them, honestly, that is a huge part of what- It sounds like a great job. I would yeah, love and it's, it's that a, job. It's a great job. Um, but yes, uh, we, um, we are sponsoring research. Coming up on October 8th is our Jimmy Family Surf Fiesta, and that's in Manhattan Beach in El Porto. And you once again can go to the website, but it's a very unusual surf contest. We have uh, almost 200 surfers of all different ages um, and abilities, and you're put on a team, a five-person team. So someone might not know how to surf, and you might get a pro surfer like our friend Alex Gray on your team. And uh, it's a team event. You go out, and they you're the judges judge best wave, team wave. And um, it's just a blast. And then there's usually about 300, 400 people on the beach. And we serve, you know, lunch and breakfast and lunch. And there's a big raffle and prizes from local sponsors. So we'd love you to come. Anyone can come out to that. That's free. It's at the beach. It's free. It's fun. Um, It's very unusual in that it's not competitive. You get something for the best wipeout. And you also get a prize for the best beach lounger, which means you decorate your beach chair. And that I can do. I can do that. There's something something for everyone. Um, So we have... usually about four big events, you know, good size events a year. We recently had um, a poker on the beach in Santa Monica and for the foundation. And that was exactly what it was at a a friend's house on the beach in Santa Monica. And that was a little unusual for us. Um, We also have done a combination surf and volleyball tournament, the surf and turf. So it's a matter of looking um, on on the website for our various events but in terms of funding, 
We, our funds come from um, personal grants, corporate grants, um, so many personal grants, but, uh, but corporate grants, um, we've been lucky enough to get funding, uh, governmental funding and, you know, over the years, but um, right. the majority comes from, you know, sources in California and around the country. Um, there are so many well, people that we are reaching out to and teaching them about what ocean therapy is. And it's not confined to the West Coast for sure. Well, I hope people listening all across the country, whether you live on the water or you don't, get inspired by Jimmy's incredible legacy, by your amazing work, by the soldiers and the children and the disabled and all the people that you're healing with this and um, and think about getting involved, donating, supporting you, spreading the word, following you on social media, all of those great things because um, your work is really beautiful. So thank you, Nancy, so much for sharing your incredible love story with us. It's really been a privilege. Thank you for having me. It meant a really, lot. It meant a lot to me too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters podcast. I so enjoyed talking to our guest, Nancy Miller, about what it takes to start a business that truly changes people's lives. I think Nancy's comment about having faith in the process was so inspiring and true. To learn more about modern day heroes like Nancy, or if you wanna reach out to us, visit charity-matters.com or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we would love it if you shared this with your family and friends. And please don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe. Remember, together we can make a difference, one small act of kindness at a time. Charity Matters.